there, there's something about uh, like a, a, a community of people, and a community is simply like one or more persons heading in the same direction. So a community of people who are heading toward Jesus, uh, to be with him, to become like him, to do what he did. Um, and, and one of the things that we see with Jesus on full display is, is the generative love of the Father. That might sound like a word, kind of a uh, weird churchy word, but by generative, I mean like it is the place where life springs forth. And so we want to be people who live and love in kind, um, who don't just talk about the way of Jesus, but seek to embody it. And we'll get to that in a moment as we um, get to our teaching. But before that, I just want to invite us into this generosity liturgy. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting um, just to be apart from the Gateway Church for a couple of Sundays and then to come back in. Um, this feels oddly familiar. And I, I say oddly because I just hope you see that um, the way of Jesus and the church of Jesus is odd. And that's okay. <laughs> And that this is one of those things that I think is one of the oddities is that we would give out of the abundance of God's grace. And so if you would um, just read this along with me as, as a way to reshape our imaginations into people of, of love and of people of generosity. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am to be determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show which you are like to all the world. So one of the things that strikes me about our generosity liturgy is I think that it just names uh, what um, is true, and that is what corresponds to reality, and that is that we are always being shaped. We are always being formed into something, and there is this, it's like a little Chinese uh, proverb that our um, habits will form our character and our character will shape our destiny. And I, I think there's some wisdom to that, and I think that's how it became a proverb, um, is that what we do with our life begins to shape and form us in a certain direction, and then that begins to actually form our interior life, which then spills out into our exterior life. And I'm not just talking about like a curated image on the Instagrams. Uh, no, this is like actually how you live. And then from that, that then shapes where you're headed. Now, now um, the whole teaching is not based on a, on a Chinese proverb. Um, in fact, it's, we're gonna root ourselves in Colossians chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip or tap your way on over there. Um, 
But there's, there's something to be said about that, um, that what we put on, what we clothe ourselves in, uh, the, the rhythms or the ripples of our lives, and if you'll notice, Leonard, I'm wearing a white t-shirt today. Um, uh, Jessica's really grateful for your remarks because she's been trying to get me out of all black for a while, and so I was like, ah, I'll relent. Um, but I, I just want to invite us into these words uh, before we get to Colossians 3. Uh, of a 20th century Quaker and intellectual by the name of Thomas Kelly. His, his, his name is Thomas R. Kelly, but if you say R. Kelly, there's some bad association with that. So we're just going to, um, Thomas Kelly, um, he's really known for this work, A Testament of Devotion. And he penned these words, and I think, goodness, they could have been written yesterday. He says this, the problem we face today needs very little introduction. Our lives in a modern city grow too complex, and I think you could just add our, our lives with Wi-Fi, grow too complex and overcrowded. Even the necessary obligations which we feel we must meet grow overnight like Jack's beanstalk. And before we know it, we are bowed down with burdens, crushed under commitments, strained, breathless, and hurried, panting through a never-ending program of appointments. Um, does that sound like any of your weeks? <laughs> or maybe just your morning? Um, I, Kelly articulated this anxiety and strain of modern life because he lived it. So this is coming out of a lived experience. He is a man from modest means. If you don't know who he is, here's a little backdrop to Thomas Kelly. Um, he's a man from modest means, and he sought out prestige through academics. So he goes and he gets himself a PhD in philosophy. And then because uh, where he got his PhD wasn't as prestigious enough, he wanted a better teaching post. He went to Harvard and, and pursues a second postgraduate degree. And anybody who knows knows about the Crimson, we have uh, one in the room here today, knows that they can be a bit academically rigorous. And so he, he's there, and during his uh, defense of his second doctoral proposal, he, he suffers a panic attack. And uh, the board, they do not let him retry his defense out of fear that it would literally kill him. And so he goes into this tailspin because his whole, like, granted, he's a follower of Jesus, but get this, his whole identity's caught up in how he's perceived in the world. And so there he is in this downward spiral, and he finds himself over doing some work in Germany, and he writes this letter to his wife, and in it he says this, kind of reflecting on this life he'd been living. He says, in the midst of work here this summer has come an increased sense of being laid hold on by a power, a gentle, loving, but awful power. It makes one know the reality of God at work in the world, and it takes away the old self-seeking, self-centered self from which selfishness, I have laid heavy burdens on you. As I just, you know, these past few weeks reflected on Kelly's life and this little series we're, we're concluding today of putting on the rhythms of Jesus and kind of ordering our life in the wake of who Jesus is, I was just I was struck by his words here. 
Because the first part, this idea that we are weighed down with burdens, I think that sounds all too familiar. I think we know intuitively what Kelly's talking about when Kelly's talking about burdens and this never-ending program of appointments. And yet, when he then talks about this awful power of God and being laid hold by it, perhaps you're wondering it. I certainly often feel this way of like, what is that like? Is it just like an ecstatic experience at a Sunday gathering or a worship night or something like that? Or is this a persistent love of God that is pursuing us in the mundane moments of life? Because that seems to be what Kelly's talking about. That, that is the type of life that I want to live where I know that I'm being pursued by the love of God and I make space to receive it. So it's been said that we achieve true rest when our schedule aligns with our values. But what's interesting is I think that our daily lives actually display our values in some scary ways. So this is, there's, no, there's no shame in this statement. It may feel like it. There's really not. Just for a moment, consider your past week. What occupied your time the most? Maybe you could just go on your phone and look at like the categories. The, what, what is that? Like a little app report or something? That, that, oh, ooh, that's like indicting. Um, maybe like you got caught in a death scroll and two hours later you're like, who am I? What in the world? See, if we indeed achieve true rest when our schedule's aligned with our values and we're a follower of Jesus, then there's, there's a gap. There's something that needs to be ordered. And I think that that's what Jesus is inviting us to. And I love how Leonard was, was encouraging us into this this past week that we actually get to participate. It's not just God like powering over humanity, but rather it's this mutual reality where we are in him and he is in us and it's this cooperative movement toward peace. That's where a rule of life comes in. It's a tool to that end. And if you can recall, a rule is not this legalistic to-do list. It's, it's not a place of like moral framework to just be better or accomplish more. The, the word itself, this idea of a regular, is this idea of a trellis. And a trellis is simply there to support the vine to produce fruit. There's this gal, her name's Margaret Gutner. She's a, a spiritual director and she talks about uh, that the vine is, is there, excuse me, the trellis is there for the vine. In, in other words, it is there to help the vine grow. But if you fasten the vine too tightly to the trellis, it will suffocate it. And the idea is, is like, well, if I get my vine around every nook and cranny of this trellis, then I will produce more fruit. But that, that's actually not how it goes down. And so the rule is there to serve us as we aim to serve Christ in all of life. And so to unpack that a bit more, I just, I hope that you have in your lap Colossians 3. We're going to pick up in verse 12. And I'd just like to do a couple of things as we work our way through this, is just to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. It really echoes a lot of what Leonard shared this past week, but we're just going to hear it from another part in the New Testament from Colossians 3. And then in light of that, to see how a life lived in Jesus's name um, could help shape a rule of life. And we'll have some practical categories there at the end. And so if you're a note taker, I would just invite you, um, paper, pen, or your phone, take out your note app. I won't uh, think you're texting other people. This is all invitation. So uh, Colossians 3:12. without further to do. Therefore, 
Okay, I just have to stop right there. Um, when you encounter that right there, that, that's um, an author's way of telling you that this is a movement in light of an argument. This is what's happening. And we'll get to what happened before that. But just know that Paul is, is making a statement in light of an argument he's been building. Therefore, and now hear this, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, Lord, let it be so, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, Paul does a lot to configure identity or to put identity together in this letter of encouragement to the church in Colossae. And starting back in chapter one, Paul does this by noting that the church is now a new body. So it's not an old body, but it's this new body that's knit together. And at the, at the, at the source of all of that is Christ who is the head. Jesus, who is the life-giving source to the body. And, and more of that, the church is a body of hope. I don't know if you knew that this morning. Maybe just turn to your neighbor and say, you're a body of hope. Yeah, no, just turn to your other neighbor. Say, you're a body of hope. Maybe turn around and say it to the person behind you, you're a body of hope. Okay, so, so now we all know that we are a part of a body of hope and that that this is actually this mystery that was hidden for ages but was revealed in Jesus. This is the hope of glory. And that hope actually extends to us through us. It's a one anothering aspect. We experience the hope of glory through our body life. And you know that when you feel unwell that a part of your body is telling you that something is off Maybe there's something literally growing inside of you and you're just like, this is weird. My body's trying to adjust to it or you are physically unwell. Like you, you know what that feels like. So too in the body of Christ. And you also, I imagine, know what it feels like to just be invigorated. For me, it's like the, there's this um, subtle addiction to caffeine, which somehow we've just made okay. Um, but I'm, I'm right here telling you that I'm there. And in the morning, I'll just like, because I'm starting to feel the symptoms of withdrawal. So in the morning, I'll like have that cup and I'm like, ah, there we are. Yes. And it's like my body is literally saying, ah, we're, we've come back to the, this place of, of hope and glory. Now, um, Maybe we need to have a little soul searching here about coffee. And anyways, I'm done. I'll digress. My, my point is, is that we are a body of hope and that Paul is doing a great deal of work to help us see that. And at the core of this is this idea of community, that our Christian identity is actually configured with one another. And we've, we've been sold this idea that you can just be an individual and follow Jesus. You know what that would look like? It would look like an arm just oddly sitting out on the sidewalk. Could you imagine? And then just imagine this, because we've seen enough like Walking Dead stuff that the arm is slowly doing this. Ew, is right. Ew, yes. Ew. You'd be like, what in the world is happening? The arm is meant to be attached to the body because community, community is the, at the core of Christian identity. And now this doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean it always feels good and yet Paul is, is, is going through great labor to show that this reality extends from God's own self. 
that God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is this community of eternal love, a community of generative love. This is the Trinity. And just imagine this, like from into eternity past and eternity future, like it bends our minds to consider the mystery of a community of eternal love. But however the heck time makes sense in that paradigm or we can get our our grasp around this, the the Father's been extending and inviting the Son and the Spirit and vice versa. They've been known by one another. They're inviting one another in and it's this just place of belonging. And this is the blueprint. This is the reality that we get to step into in Christ. And the reason that we get to step into it is because it's actually been disrupted. I love how Tamara just shared, like we feel the disruption of hope in our bodies. We, We feel the anxiety. It's almost just in the air. It's ambient. And yet through the spirit, we get to step into something new that is the body of Christ, and in Colossians, Paul does what I, I think still feels surprises. He, he pushes this reuniting grace of Jesus up against the fault lines of his day, which are interestingly some of the same fault lines of our day. He, he pushes redemption right up against matters of gender and social class and socioeconomic status. And he says that they are drawn together in Christ. He, he talks about it this way, right before our passage, what precedes the therefore is this. This is the latter part of verse nine. You can look down there with me. Do not lie to each other. Just some great advice from the apostle Paul. I think it's more than that. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. In other words, God's ordering presence, that's a callback to the first week of this little series, God's ordering presence, who is the spirit, the personal presence of God rests on the church. Verse 11, and here in this new body, there is no Gentile or Jew I mean, just the Gentiles basically a non-Jew. In other words, there is a new humanity in Jesus's name. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. If you don't know what it is, Google it. There is no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The new place we reside is in Christ. That is the new body. And I'm like, I'm working us through this and this may feel repetitive and that's on purpose because if what we do forms who we are and shapes who we become, if we don't know who we are, then we have this listlessness that shapes us into what? Like a, like a do you remember the movie Flubber? Like what is this amorphous goo? that just bounces around everywhere, we just become these flubberites just bouncing around everywhere. Where are we heading? Wherever the inertia takes us. No, we need to know who we are. And then we have to apply an intention to that in cooperation with the Spirit so that we might be with Jesus and become like him and do what he did. This is, um, there's some tension in the midst of this, I dare say. I think we just call it life. (laughs) Um, 
Life is what Paul will call elsewhere in the New Testament the present evil age. This is the, the place we inhabit. So if somebody asks you, oh, well, how was church on Sunday? Oh, we were just talking about the present evil age. It's kind of a, kind of a tough one these days. But it, it may sound, sound odd and disconnected from the world we live in, but I think it, it has great explanatory power because it, it helps us to look soberly at the world that we live in. And in the present evil age, categories like gender and social class and socioeconomic status, they do present social fissures and they do divide. We feel it in our body. I mean, my my Nana was here and we had great conversations around some of these divisions. She noted in our neighborhood that there are Black Lives Matter signs everywhere and we otherwise had a lovely neighborhood. And so like in that moment, we had an opportunity to have a conversation about that. Uh, And I I have to apologize, I think, because I just poked her. I said, I like them. I like those. It's a theologically accurate statement. Um, But in the midst of that, what we feel is she deeply loves Jesus. The reason that she's troubled by that is because of her love for Jesus. And the reason that I think that it's a theologically accurate statement is because I love Jesus. So in the place of Christ, we actually get to come together and hear one another. I I don't want to just be an arm crawling around on the sidewalk to her. I want to be united to her. And yet it it takes work. And this is what's called new life. (laughs) This is the new life. And we actually need one another to grow I I become more mature. I become more like Jesus. And Jesus has more space to shape me as I am with the nanas of the world. And maybe I am nana to you. And praise be to Christ for that. That we get to shape one another rather than going out in our little Christian ghettos that are defined by our preferences that we've moralized. You say, well, what does this have to do with a rule of life? Well, As it comes to our identity, I think we just have to consider the corrupted vision of who we think we are. And then we have to, I think with curiosity, we get to look around us and say that the person to our left, to our right, whether we are at a coffee shop or in church, they are a gift to us and I am a gift to them. Dallas Willard, in his book, uh, Renewing the Christian Mind, he said this, he said, we have to involve the body in spiritual formation because this is where we live and what we live from. See, our, I, I know that in the context Willard is talking about our physical bodies, and yet as I was thinking through this, I, was, I couldn't help but go to like our, our actual church body. <laughs> Like this is where we live and what we live from is the body. And so this is actually where we get to to have some traction with a rule of where does a, a rule in our passage collide? See, in our passage, the Apostle Paul is calling the church to embrace a way of life that extends from who they are. Remember those words. Go back to Colossians 3.12. This is, this is who you are, Christian. God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. Uh, To be chosen, 
uh, can be, I don't know, sticky theological territory. I, I don't think it ought to be or need be even. It, I, I don't even think Paul is using it in a mainly theological framework here. And I could be, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think that it's a theological term in this moment that denotes who's in and who's out, but rather to be chosen or to sit in the chosenness of God. This is God's love language over the church. It's that I, I've chosen you. I, I love you. I've set my love on you from eternity past. You are the ones on whom I set my love and through whom I hope my love will extend to the world. To be chosen signifies God's love from eternity past and then it sits with us. So that's why we sing a song like Be Still so that we could actually slow down long enough to receive the love of the Father <laughs> And I just have to share, like, I feel the, f I, like, in the midst of that song, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the next thing to do. I don't know. How to, it's, like, I feel the discomfort. And that is a great place to be. The next thing is we're not just chosen, but we're holy. Could you imagine if, like, on your, I don't know, your LinkedIn profile, you just had holy? <laughs> this was your thing. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. I, I imagine that that's, um, for some folks, that's legit and they sincerely mean it. But I, I just, I make that light of that because um, it just seems so abstracted from the life we live. And yet this is who the church is. We are set apart, the full range of social behavior, the conduct of our life, what's on our mind is completely different from the conduct of the world. And those are just systems that are opposed to the way of God. So just... I, with curiosity, you just ask, like, do, do I, like, live out of a place of being holy? Is this how I see myself? Is this the identity I inhabit? Is, is one who is holy? And this is, this is where, like, our uh, positional reality that we are holy gets to break into our conditional experience because sometimes we do not feel very set apart. In fact, if I'm honest with you, I feel myself like being drawn toward the ease of the world. And we're, we're out on this little, um, this time where we get to go up to Northern Michigan and, and Northern Michigan has become kind of the new Hamptons. There's in the summers, there's direct flights from Newark. And what you see is these people who are just, they're yachting, yatching, yatching, yachting. They're out there and they're just lounging and, and I feel this like covetousness rise up in my spirit. And it's this odd thing because I'm sitting there playing in the sand with my, it's beautiful. It's, and then they, they just kind of, I don't, do they stroll? They don't stroll. Whatever they do, they glide by on the bay and they're like lounging, etc., sipping on my ties, I'm imagining. And it's just like, what is this in my heart that wants that when the creator God has called me Holy. And that that place of being set apart, like, am, am I longing for what this world has to offer more than what God has to offer in the world to come and the new heavens and new earth? And when I'm honest, the answer is yes. So a rule helps to keep me fastened to a place that will indeed produce fruit in keeping with the kingdom. And maybe that language sounds churchy and I'm fine with that because I think that that's actually the, the, the call that Paul is making here to say, therefore you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. See, this and this one, you guys, this is so liberating 
It may be weird to think of yourself as chosen or holy, but this one right here, I think, resonates with us in our guts. This is the place where it gets hold of us and God's love can actually begin to shape and reshape who we are because to be dearly loved is to say we don't have to establish ourselves before God. Maybe the thing that you needed to hear this morning or encounter afresh is that you don't have to establish yourself before God. When Jesus said on the cross that it is finished, he meant that for you and for me. And more, we don't have to establish ourselves before one another. Now, I'm not saying like, let us not participate in worship or service or being about the way of Jesus by no means. Simply, I'm saying they, they don't have merit in the way that we might hope they do. Like I, I, maybe I preach a sermon that like leads to revival in Des Moines and still in that place, it does not prove a thing before God because before I do a thing, I am dearly loved. And it's from that place of belovedness that we get to live. And that, um, that's why Paul goes on to say what he does, that in light of this, clothe yourselves, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says some things that just seem ridiculous to most of us. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive them And then check the rationale here. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. See, the the end goal of ordering our life in the way of Jesus is love. The chief virtue in Paul's imagination, it's right there in verse 14. Look at it. Over all these virtues, put on love because it binds them all together. In other words, our identity is rooted in this. And so I I think a rule that extends from this is a way to play with what it is to put on love. We get to just try some stuff on. I was was talking to Abby, who's the community manager over at Gravitate, of like how we're going to try and situate ourselves in this place because there's people who work there and some of them are like building the internet on Sundays and it's like, well, maybe what what if we get rowdy? I know, I know, that's our community, right? Um, That was a joke. It was maybe a hopeful thing. We get a little, anyways. So I was chatting to her and I was like, you know, we're just going to try some stuff on. And as we started talking about that more, what came to light is like, it was this, uh, like, apparently people go together to try clothes on and then they look at one and they say, what do you think? How do you, is this nice? And they do some twirl. That's like, what a rule of life. We get to just try this stuff on, rearrange the trellis to say, okay, what actually gives way to the most vibrancy in life? And, and I, could, I could be so wrong here, and that's okay, but it seems like Paul imagines the whole of the Christian life to be oriented toward this thing, that we who have received love actually get to love in kind. You know, the first step in, in doing that is receiving love. Um, I know that, like, I'm literally the work that my therapist is having me do is to receive love, and I'm like, that sounds stupid. 
So I get like this is actual work to position ourselves to receive the love of Father, to, to believe that what Paul says of this, who's inspired by the Spirit, who's moving to this community to like remind them of who and whose they are, that we are chosen and we are dearly loved. We are the holy people of God, which means every aspect of life, physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, and social, they are all to be oriented to love. Paul says this, if you skim down to Colossians 3, 17, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so I just wanna like, as we close, look at those aspects. And this is where your note-taking can become vociferous. You can really get after your note-taking here. Um, and, and then in the weekly, we're gonna send this out on Wednesday. So if you're not uh, signed up for the weekly, plug for the weekly. So just with these little aspects of physical, and each of these are going to have a core question. And this is, this feels like out of character for me because it feels kind of like, I don't know, do these things. But here's the core question for each little aspect and then some uh, examples to try on. So uh, for physical, that's your, that's your, your body. Um, what habits of body do you utilize to keep yourself healthy? Before God, like what if your body actually matters to God is the thing beneath that? And so here are some examples. Um, do you sleep well? Now, sometimes stage of life uh, it prohibits sleep. Other times, um, it's because of the death scroll two hours before bed and you're like, oh my gosh, my brain is all lit up. But, but simple thing, like are you sleeping? Is, is regular exercise a part of your life? Like what going, what's going into your body impacts your energy levels and all of those things. So are you aware of the food that you eat? Or, I mean, the list is gonna go on and you'll see, but it, it, I have on here things like uh, waking and rising at the same time, just going on a walk. <laughs> could, could you believe it that walking around your neighborhood could be like this place of union, moving toward union with God? How beautiful is that? Uh, emotional, what practices or rhythms of rest are built into your life? Or, or perhaps ask it this way, what do you need to remove from your life to rest in God's love? That's actually been the more potent question for me as of late. So maybe, maybe the space that you need is like a, a mor like a morning just filled with quiet. And it's five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Maybe it's you actually take your phone and you set it out of your, the place where you sleep and you go to the store and you purchase or you go on the internet and you purchase this thing called an alarm clock. You remember they have like the red letters that are kind of hard to read most of the day, but at nighttime they let you know what's up. You go and you get one of those and you set it. It's just remarkable. That actually has a space of, of helping you like to come back to who you are, like help to regulate you emotionally. Spiritual. Uh, what habits move you toward union with God? And then here just a list of, of practices of prayer meditation, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, service, confession, worship, journaling, and many more. A couple more. Intellectual. In this aspect, the core question here, and I think that we inhabit this space pretty easily. Like, how, how are you carefully guarding your mind's time and input from digital devices to keep it healthy and free from temptation or distraction? 
It may sound like, and, and um, Jess reminds me of this often, that I can get kind of legalistic with this. And so um, my spirit here is because I care for you, um, not because I want to like be the Holy Spirit or anything. But if we've not seen how these little computers in our pockets have an agenda, then we're being foolish. So there's that little thing. And so just being aware of how we consume content, which consumption, like it's good. I list podcasts. Praise be to Jesus for the podcast. However, it will shape me in one way or another. And so I just have to say, like, where, where and what am I listening to? Am I listening to a diverse range of people? Like, am, am I cultivating these things? And lastly, social, and this is the most robust, and I think it's just a reflection because I think it's a high value. Um, what relationships are forming community before God? In other words, what, what relationships am I in that are, that are inviting me toward union with God? And those don't always have to be with followers of Jesus. Let me be really clear about this. You can have a conversation with somebody who denies the deity of Christ that actually moves you toward Jesus. And not in contrast, but because they have a way of seeing the world that helps you to see the beauty of creation in a new way. And because you are secure in who you are, you can navigate those things. But just some examples, perhaps some friendships. You're, you're cultivating this space. You're carving this time out to cultivate a friendship. Or if you're, you're married, if you desire to do that, like having a touch point or a date night. Or if you're simply just with ch your church family, like actually coming to this thing. <laughs> And so in those different aspects, those are categories where we can then start to construct the trellis. And so this would be the invitation is in the weekly, I'm going to just send this exhaustive, not exhaustive list out, but, um, and then just an example of what I'm trying to do. And I would just invite you, consider it. That's all. Maybe you have one already. Maybe you have a rule that is like more of a mental framework. Write it down and just say like, oh yeah, and, and reimagine it. Because I think that this stands as true of Thomas Kelly's words that the problem we face today needs very little introduction. And yet the way of Jesus needs a lot of introduction. And my hope is, is that through community and the power of the Spirit, that that could begin to switch. That the way of Jesus becomes intuitive for the life of the Gateway Church, such that people begin to be drawn to the love of Jesus, not, not a form of doing church, not, not a style of worship, but the, because they see the love of Jesus on display in the people who've received his love. And so in light of that, I just want to invite us to a place of remembrance where we actually get to remember the love of God that's been poured out to us. If you would, we're going we're gonna to rise and take the bread and cup. Um, to the end of a rule of life is to move us to be people who live in love like Jesus. And if it, 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 and just to say this, if a rule of life sounds ridiculous or exhausting or you're just like, I'm not there yet, that's cool. Because <laughs> this is all invitation. And that is precisely what this moment is. To, to, to take the bread in the cup is a moment where we get to remember that it is God's very self who came and, and put on the form of humanity who put on flesh and experienced the life that we live. And he gave that away. A body broken and blood spilled, the covenant of forgiveness. And so I just invite you here in these next few moments to um, 
remember the goodness of God's love as you take the bread and the cup. That this would be not just juice from a cup, but would be a reminder that God's love is for you and so your striving is, is, is over. So if you would, let us continue in worship. Let us remember the body broken, the blood poured out, and let us continue to ascribe worth to the living God whose name is Jesus. Jesus.